You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's get a view on the markets from Joanne Bainham from Sterling Wealth in Cape Town. We haven't spoken for a while. In fact, I don't think we've spoken this year, Joanne, and lots of things have happened. And one of the main themes of my podcasts over the last few weeks has been the rise in interest rates and the potential rise in inflation, and more importantly, what the reaction of central banks will be. This has been a theme and people get bored with it, but unfortunately, it is going to continue to be a theme, as is the strong dollar. Is this a theme and will it continue? I think if I could answer that question, I'd be incredibly rich. It's what everyone's talking about. You're 100% right. I think people are trying to navigate this new world of rising rates and rising inflation and asking the very important question, is it sustainable? Because I think there are two schools of thought of the whole inflation debate, which ultimately leads to the interest rate debate. Is it just a once-off because of base effects, you know, pent-up demand because of COVID, and will it all disappear? Or is it sustainable? Now, on that subject, I've been of the view that, you know, it's a once-off, it's a base effect, it, you know, we've still got the huge forces of, of um, disruption via tech, demographics, massive debt. You know, the argument is that inflation is not going to pick up. Yes. But quite worryingly, I read quite an interesting article this morning on what's happening in the U.S., and it looks like we, we know Biden has quite a socialist leaning in the way he thinks about life. We can see that from that's just typical Democrats. But what he's talking about at the moment is repealing certain labor laws in the U.S., which will allow individuals to strike, will force people to pay money in for, um, you know, forming, joining a union. Yes. And ultimately, this has been the major reason we haven't really had sticky inflation because there's been no wage inflation. Despite relatively high levels of employment, we've had no real wage inflation. We're talking about the developed markets now. And if that changes, then I think this is a very interesting space because if we start seeing pricing power in the hands of labor, uh, and it kind of speaks to the whole you know, rising Gini coefficient argument, you know, the income inequality argument you and I have spoken about a lot. We know there's something horribly wrong with the world that some people are incredibly rich and the poor just aren't getting a handout. But... If we start seeing Labour get some more pricing power, then this inflation story becomes very interesting. So I think that's something we're going to have to watch because for now, the feeling is it's a temporary story. Don't get too worried about it. Yes, markets might be quite jittery when we start seeing some pretty high inflation numbers this year. But the feeling has been, don't worry, it'll go away. If we start seeing that become sticky, then these markets are in all sorts of trouble. Okay. The initial rise is because of commodities, I think, and also because of the Mm -hmm. potential for the 1.9 trillion package that's just been passed to uh, put some purchasing power in the hands of the US consumer, and therefore prices might go up. Uh, Maybe that's just a once-off event, and the market will then come down again. When I say the market, I mean the US 10-year bond yield, for example, which is the one that I always reference. But on the other hand, if commodity prices still stay high, I mean, look at the oil price. I mean, okay, it's retreating in the last 48 hours, but it was above $70 a barrel just 48 hours ago. And it was down at $12, $13 a barrel probably six, seven months ago. I can't remember when exactly it was because it's all a bit of a blur. Uh, But there seems to be an underlying inflationary movement from commodities. And also that's being topped up by things like 1.9 trillion US dollars from Mr. Biden. It's a tantalizing cocktail. It certainly is. But I, I think just back to this whole inflation argument, The Fed tends to look through um, soft commodity or hard commodity prices. They tend to think, they sort of look X oil and they say, you know, what's really driving the economy? And until you get latent demand from the end consumer, 
that tends to come out of the prices over time. So the central bank doesn't tend to get too worried about that. I mean, I know people talk about the 1970s and the oil embargo and all the rest of it. But I think unless they think that's, you know, it, so the problem with higher commodity prices leads to lower commodity prices because demand falls off. So at some point, if commodity prices get too high, people start, stop buying it or drive less or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. So I think the Fed looks through that. I, I think the bigger problem is going to be this whole wage inflation issue because then it becomes sticky. So, yes, back to your point. I mean, I think we're going to get some horrible numbers in the short term because there's been some massive increases in commodity prices. But do I think we're in a structural bull market for commodities? Um, you know, the secular bull market or the super cycle, they like to call it. No, I don't think so. Nothing I've read makes me get that bullish about commodities. But there has been a huge base effect here. Remember, the world economy collapsed in 2020. It's normal for it to recover just because of base effects. And this enormous fiscal stimulus package, which we didn't have in 2008. So we should start seeing inflation picking up. But what I'm saying is, does it continue in 2022-23? And for now, the jury's out. But I'm saying to you, watch these labor numbers. Because there was a very interesting story on, uh, I think it was Uber, about two months ago. I don't know if you saw the article where they lost their case, I think either the UK or US, saying that their employees weren't employees. They were arguing they weren't. And the court said, yes, they are. And if they are employees, you're going to have to give them minimum wage, you're going to have to give them holidays, sick leave, etc. So suddenly the gig economy that was causing labor prices to fall could be under pressure if a lot of these companies are seen to be employers. So I'm saying to you, watch the space, because for too long now, the power has been in the hands of capital, not been in the hands of labor. If that starts shifting, then we absolutely could see inflation picking up because it's a, it's a game changer. Uh, and unlike 2008, where it was just about monetary policy, this time around, we are seeing fiscal spending. We are seeing the $1.9 trillion coming into the market. You know, admittedly, that also replaces the demand that wasn't there before. So it's hard to see it kind of continue forever. But you are seeing a gargantuan amount of money being thrown in the market. Will it stick? Yes, if there's, if there's wage pressure coming through. And so far, we haven't seen it. Because let's face it, we've been in this world for a long time now where there's been a huge amount of money. And despite everyone saying, oh, well, um, more money leads to inflation. It hasn't. It's no, it's been. It's, haven't had pricing power. It's been. Sorry. It's been recently. It's been more than a decade of uh, quantitative easing, and even before the global financial crisis, there was still quantitative easing. Uh, we've been indulging ourselves in these conversations for so long, you and I, Joanne. And I've always said, well, inflation must come through certainly, but somehow it doesn't. Maybe the world's efficient. Maybe the world can absorb this money. Maybe the world is. Maybe the companies that need to pass on these price rises absorb these price rises themselves. I don't understand it. I'm not clever enough. But certainly, this time it feels slightly different. No, no, it does. Uh, and we're seeing it. We're seeing the US Treasury is rising because people are starting to get a bit more nervous about inflation. But one has to understand, is it runaway inflation or just an increase in inflation? Because what a lot of people forget is that a sort of 2 to 3% inflation number is a sweet spot for equities. It's actually not a terrible thing. I mean, companies prefer a little bit of inflation to no inflation at all, and they hate deflation. So a little bit of inflation is okay. It's when it becomes runaway inflation that everyone gets very worried. And you only get to that runaway inflation number if you get pricing power in the hands of labor, which we haven't had up to the last 10 years. So I'm saying it's, it's one to watch. We don't have all the answers yet. But, but, but even in that scenario, so there's another interesting thing happening beneath the surface. Um, if you look at what value is done versus growth, Value's been rallying very strongly since the vaccine story in November, but value, value shares also love inflation because inflation ultimately 
is driven by the fact that global growth is picking up, which, as I said to you many times, value is a play on growth. If you think growth is going to be stronger, you want to be in value shares. If you think growth is going to be weaker, you want to be in growth shares. And I know that doesn't sound doesn't make a lot of sense, but you want to pay you pay up for certainty of earnings when there's no growth. You don't do it when there's lots when growth is plentiful, and that's why these value shares do better in an inflation environment because it means growth is starting to pick up. So you are seeing that. I mean, I know last night we had the Nasdaq go up by four percent or three and a half percent, and Tesla was up twenty percent. Yeah. For me, that just feels like a, a extreme move. I wouldn't trust it right now. I still think you want to be in the value side of the market where growth is picking up, and thanks largely to massive fiscal spending projects. Am I terribly worried that inflation is going out of control and the U.S. Treasury is going to go crazy? Not yet, but we're watching it very closely. Yeah, you have to. And I think that if there is a massive infrastructure program um, on the table after the 1.9 trillion has been distributed, I mean, people are talking, uh, I've, certain programs that I've been watching are saying that the US needs a $4 trillion uh, program of infrastructure spend over the next four years, then then we're talking about inflation because the materials and the jobs that will the materials that will need to be bought and the jobs that will need to be hired are just e extraordinary. So I do think that uh, you know, perhaps um, what we're talking about now is something that might come to fruition in in the future. Do you think interest rates are going to rise this year in the United States of America? What, you mean the Fed raising rates? The Fed, the US Federal Reserve <laughs> raising rates and reversing a trend that has been in place for so many years. Uh, no, but, but you know, anything can happen in markets. No, I mean, I mean we've already seen um, certain countries in Africa raise rates, and I'm trying to think, you know... I don't the, think the Fed the looks at them, actually, but no, anyway, no, 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 I know no, your no, point. No, I'm saying, I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make is, unlike in the past where every central bank around has been cutting rates... We are starting to see at the margin some central banks starting to raise rates because exactly because of worries about inflation. And I could be wrong on this one, but I thought Australia was also talking about don't rely on interest rates staying low forever, some comment that came out this morning. Yes. So, yes, I mean, there is pressure on interest rates. And we know that this incredibly liquid environment has been very bullish for risk assets and particularly growth assets. So it's back to my argument. If interest rates are rising for good reasons because inflation's picking up but not too strongly and growth is picking up, that's actually really good for certain sectors of the market value and particularly commodity shares. So if you're worried about a commodity price that's going to rise, well, then there are a lot of shares of the JSE that could do so well. And I was, I was looking at numbers of the JSE this year. It's done particularly well this year. And a lot of that's in the back of the resource shares. So, you know, the markets are thinking about this, Lindsay. They, they are driving the share price higher. I mean, you just have to see the tech sector and how horrible it's been recently to see exactly what the market's thinking. It's thinking growth is me better, inflation could pick up, but they're not saying inflation's going to run away because if they did, they'd be selling everything. Okay, so when you look at yourself as an asset allocator, as somebody that says, here's 100 units of currency and I'm going to put 60% here, 30% there, and 5% and 5%, etc. Uh, what is your, is your asset allocation strategy changing or are you just sitting tight for now? Well, I mean, our asset allocation strategy doesn't change that much because most of our clients are long-term investors. So what we spend our lives doing is making sure people stick to their long-term plans. But if you're asking me, am I changing my allocation between bonds and equities? Well, offshore, we've always hated bonds. So we're certainly not buying bonds at the moment. That's not, hasn't changed at all. Within our equity components, uh, we've had a very big position in value, and, and that hasn't changed. Um, we could be looking to buy some growth shares if we see a bigger sell-off. 
Because I think ultimately, you know, this growth value debate is very interesting. But you want to buy good companies at the right prices. Uh, and if some really good companies start selling off, so the likes of, say, Facebook, Amazon, where they've got very strong cash balance sheets, well, then, yes, you've got to start looking at these companies if the price is right. Uh, and the big if there is if the price is right. Within the South African context, um, I know people have turned less optimistic on South African bonds this year. But in a global growth scenario where things get better, emerging market currencies get stronger, I still think SA bonds, particularly the long end, have very decent yields. But you need to protect yourself again with offshore assets in your portfolio. And what I mean by that is there's clearly risk in the SA bond market. The risk is that we default on our debt, which I think is quite a low risk because you don't tend to default on local currency debt. But what does happen is the RAND would blow out in that scenario. In that environment, you want to have global equities to protect you. So you can have SA bonds in the portfolio, provided you've got global equities to protect you on the other side. And in terms of South African equities, well, I think of the scenario you're painting, Lindsay, where commodity prices keep moving up thanks to China growing, thanks to the fiscal spending. I think to not have SA equities right now is quite dangerous. So a lot of financial advisors have been telling their clients, put everything offshore. I think, you know, you're going to miss a few tricks if you don't have some SA equities in your portfolios. But, but generally speaking, we still favor offshore assets because from a long-run perspective, we just think there's better opportunities offshore. It's not that we're anti-South African necessarily. It's just we think there are better opportunities offshore. Final question now, which I'm asking everybody. Is the current boom, and there is a little bit of a boom going on um, in the stock markets and also when it comes to economic data, let's focus now on economic data. Is the economic data reflecting a restocking? For example, uh, during the last year, you've got a warehouse and um, no one's buying anything, so you don't buy anything. Uh, but your your stocks go down a little bit. And now you're mm -hmm. feeling more confident about the next year. You restock your warehouse. Is there restocking going on or is this genuine demand and genuine growth? Oh, gosh, Lindsay, that's almost impossible to answer. I mean, there has to be restocking, try. right? Because mm. people <laughs> try. I, I think the additional fiscal support will give you genuine demand. I am worried about one thing, and that is people who've lost their jobs, have they lost them permanently? And that that's the million-dollar question that we're all grappling with, because even if you get all this government support, it only helps you to, for a certain level of time. At some point, you've got to get a job again. You can't rely on the government handouts forever. And, and my worry is a lot of companies who had, say, 100% employment have now survived quite nicely on 90, might be saying to themselves, do we need those extra 10%? Do we need to hire those people back? Uh, and that's a worry I have yeah. for the kind of, is the growth sustainable argument? And we still don't know. But I do think one thing is going to have a boom this year, if we can ever get these vaccines out the way, is I think travel will do unbelievably well in 2021. I think people are desperate to travel again, to leave their homes, to not be on Zoom, to actually get out the house. Mm. So I, I think that there's an enormous amount of demand there. And there's your inflation story. I think we're going to see inflation in some of the hotel prices in 2021. <laughs> I'm not one of those people, but anyway, I get your point. I've become an agoraphobe, and uh, I hope the pandemic goes on forever so that I have no excuse to travel whatsoever. I'm only joking, of course. <laughs> Joanne, thank you very much for your time. That's Joanne Bainham uh, from Sterling Wealth in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position, 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.